Good morning, everybody. Today, Bezat Hashem, will be learning Daf, Kuf, Aleph, and Masech HaSivamos. But the lines got wide real quick yesterday, Andrew. And so we find ourselves in the middle of Kuf Amid Beis. Uviznus mi Gazar Rabbanon. What are we talking about here? Well, we had the unknown paternal lineage. Remember that in the Mishnah? And we didn't know who the father was. And this was before Jerry Springer. So we had to have all the Chumras. That's a, that's a 1990s joke, right? Early 90s? Okay, so the thing is that we brought that kind of suffix into a situation where, let's say, right, one father was a Kohen, and then something happened, and then within less than three months, the woman marries another man, ends up with another man. You don't know who the father is. One is a Kohen, one is not. You have the Chumras of the Kohanim um, going in both directions. So then we brought a case of Shmuel who had said that, by the way, you should know, that if five or ten, let's say, Kohanim are hanging out in a certain spot, and we know that one of them is definitely the father, right? There was a single girl in town, and those ten Kohanim only could, it's, were the only candidates to have been the father, but we don't know which one it was. In that situation, the child of that union would not, would be called the Shtuki and would not be essentially a Kohen, would not be uh, treated as a Kohen, would not be allowed to go up with the Mishmaris and all of that. Well, that was, in a sense, contradictory to our Mishnah, we said, because our Mishnah said that when we didn't know who the father was, you can go up to the Mishmar. So why is it here, in a case where the single girl had cohabited with one of these guys, and certainly, whoever it was, we don't know who it was, but whoever it was, was a Kohen, certainly. So why are we saying that he's not treated as a Kohen? It seems to contradict our Mishnah. So it said one of the answers that we gave most recently here now was that, well, those two situations are different. The situations where the woman married two men too close together, well, that was not advised. That's connected the advice of Chazal, and we now know, don't know who the father is, but at least both unions were sanctioned. Whereas the situation where you have 10 dudes and the single girl, that was, by definition, a situation of znus. And it is for that reason that we, uh, do, we take away the status of coin of the offspring. And therefore, in a situation of znus, um, that's where Shmuel says that you take away the kuna, we call him a shtuki. However, says the Gemara, is it really true that in a situation of znus, uh, we're going to be gozer, that that's the reason why we're gozer. What we're going to do, I'll give it away, Andrew, is we're going to try to show that perhaps our mission was also a situation of znus. Whoa, and yet in our Mishnah we're not Gozer. How so? Let's look inside. That's not. We learned in our very Mishnah, the following case. Right? So that was the case. She didn't wait the full three months. Now she got remarried. Okay, so that was a sanctioned union, but she didn't wait long enough. What does it mean? Right? That's the language of the Mishnah. She didn't wait for three months after her husband. What do you mean after her husband? After what? Says the Gemara, if you mean after that husband died, so Amos Seifa, now let's look what we do, right? The Mishnah had described the Avelis behavior in such a scenario. So the Mishnah had said, who right? That he, um, meaning the offspring, has to be an Onen on their behalf, and there would be an Onen if he were to die, both fathers, both fathers. Says the Gemara, Fascinating. Well, I can understand how this offspring could, in fact, be an onan for both of his fathers. How so? 
Again, the question is, in a situation where the first father died, Achar Ba'olah means that the first father died, so then we could see how the offspring would be doing an avail for both of them. How so? The Gemara says, fascinatingly, that for the second father, so that, that guy could have died 20 years later, so this is a young 20-year-old man, and he's in a ninus for the second father. But what about the first father? Wouldn't, by definition, he have been born afterwards? No, says the Gemara, Likut Atzamos Dekama. The aninos that he has is for, they're moving the, the, the plot. They're, they're moving the grave, Andrew. He's being exhumed here. That's what Likut Atzamas is, with Rashi over here. Like we learned in Psachim already, in Daftzadik Aleph, HaShomeyal Meisov, HaMelaket Atzamas, Ochel Bekachim Lareves, Avalkol HaYom Aser. There is an aninos for when you move the grave from Prague to Mahar Menuchos, that kind of thing. So they moved the grave, and so that's the aninos that the offspring has for his parents, his Two fathers. The real question is, how are the fathers going to be onen on the son if the, the, the case is that the first father died before the second father was, before the woman was married to the second father? According to understanding of where the first father, means after he died, well, then by definition, the first husband died before the child was born. Maybe not before he was conceived, but certainly before he was born, because she, right, got remarried right away. Well, if they died before the first child was born, then how are they owning on him, right? If, if the first father died before the child was born, then he'll never have had a chance to have aninus over the death of said first child, who was by definition born after he was dead. Okay. So that can't be what it means. When it says Akhar Baal, it can't mean after he died. Okay, so maybe it means after, I'll give it away. It's going to end up meaning after his nus. But first we said, maybe it's Akhar Baal means after the Misa of the Baal. Now we're going to say maybe there was a Gershon here. This is a cute one, Andrew. You're going to love this one. How we prove that it can't mean Gershon. Let's look at inside. Ve'ela Begrusha. Does Akhar Baal mean after Gershon with the second Baal? Let's see. Umay Akhar Baal, Akhar Get Baal. It means after he gave her a Get. So Ema Seifa we said in the Seifa again that he doesn't right, go to the cemetery for them and they don't go to the cemetery for him because after all, it's a suffix and they may not be related. That the two fathers aren't going to go to the cemetery for his death. Because that's a chumrah. Remember, this is just a garish. So everybody's alive right, until this child dies. And then when he dies, neither of them are going to go to the cemetery for him because they don't know who, that they're his father, right? They don't know for sure that he's their son, and therefore, out of Suffolk, they're going to be machmer and not going to the cemetery, so to speak. Why would he not be matame to participate in their burial? Watch this. I can understand. Okay, the second dad, he doesn't know whether that's his dad, so he's not going to go to his funeral, so to speak. But for the first father, he should be Matami. How so? Because like this, here's the two possibilities. Either the first father was his actual father, in which case he should be Matami to him because he's one of the Zion Krovim and he has to go to his wedding, his funeral, even though he's a kind. And so then Shapir Kamehameha, right? Then he should be Matami to him if he's his actual son. However, and even if he's the son of the second husband, the Basra, he should be metame to the second husband. Why? 
Because if, if it was a garrison that happened between the first and the second husband, so then that means that the second husband married a Grusha. The, right, the offspring of that union is a Chalal. A Chalal can be Matame, right? Because he's not really going. So that's how our Mishnah can't be a case of a garrison. Because if it was a garrison, then the son would be Matame to either father, because if it was to the first father, if he's the son of the first father, we're now 11 lines up from the bottom of Kufam and Bez. Yeah, Andrew gets all the learning, you know. Andrew gets inside. Good morning, Garanowitz. Uh, you right. have a muscle for me? I mean, that's what keeps me going, little rebel. You and Gil are happy headers here. I'm going to give you some muscle. And how? Okay, so he goes like this. So says the Gemara, El Alav business. So we see, okay, so we just determined that the case... Goranowitz, where yeah. the first husband and the second husband were like three, less than three months apart, was where there was a znus involved. Oh. And therefore, when it says, achar balo, my achar balo, achar boala, it really means, you say, znus, it says bala. What do you mean znus? He's her husband. That's not, you don't do znus with your husband. No, it doesn't really mean bala. It means boala. No, it's just they, they were together. And now we complete our kasha. So Goranowitz waited until the completion of the Kasha, which is, in the case of our mission, we say that there was a Znus, and yet the fact that a Kohen was with a woman Biznus, Shmuel said, the offspring, we say, you're not a Kohen anymore. We don't treat you like a Kohen, you don't Ola Mishmar. And yet our Mishnah says that you are Ola Mishmar. So how do you reconcile Shmuel with our Mishnah? B'tiyufta to Shmuel. Our Mishnah sounds like it's a Tiyufta to Shmuel. So... And now we're going to try to reconcile it as follows. Amar Rav Shmai, 11 lines up. Bimima Enes. The case of Mima Enes. Remember the case of Mima Enes? The orphan girl, right? And she refuses her husband. How does that help us? Well, it's not as Nus. That's why they weren't Geyser. In other words, she was with the first husband, right? And, <laughs> okay, you understand why it's not as Nus? Because she was with the first husband, and it's not really marriage. It's kind of like as Nus, because she refuses everything that happened... Uh, uh, prior, right? She was sold as a little girl and they lived together and then she didn't want to be with him anymore. But because she's Mima Ennis in that very special, unique case, it's re- the retroactively not considered Znus, and, meaning the Chazal aren't going to be Gozer on that because they allowed this, mem- this young girl to be married in the first place. So they're not going to now go ahead and say, we're taking away your, your boy's kahuna because that is, right, because the, it, it was it was not under the auspices of marriage in a way, in retrospect, but it was also sanctioned, so therefore it's not Znus, and so he remains a Kohen in the case of, right, in the case of our Mishnah. That's what our Mishnah is talking about. The case where Shmuel is talking about is real Znus, so that's why you take away his Kahuna. Our Mishnah is Memahannis, and therefore it's not real Znus, and therefore we do not take away the Kahuna. However, the Gemara has difficulty with this for the following reason. Says the Gemara, Memahannis ki kayalda. Is that even physically possible that this 11 and a half year old girl or whatever is going to be able to give birth? We learned at Brisa where Bibi said that there's three types of women who are always going to use contraception and never going to get pregnant. And they are going to be. Now, whether this means that, right, so they can physically get pregnant or not, the Gemara is going to discuss. But the bottom line is, Practically, you're not going to find a pregnant 11-year-old in the Jewish world. Because they, they watch over this. Is it possible for an 11-year-old girl to get 
No, because biologically, I don't think it's necessarily impossible. But in those days, the when when they thought that there would be a possibility, they took care of it, right? They would mishtamish b'moch. They would just they would have a sort of like a procedure uh, by which they would take care of it, and make sure that they wouldn't conceive. The katana they did it because they thought the katanas were too young, and therefore, if they were to get pregnant, they would die. So they would take care of it. Muberes shematasa uber sandal. They had a belief uh, biologically that if a pregnant woman were to, so to speak, reconceive, which we know is biologically impossible, that that would affect the ubar. I don't know that that's biologically um, something that's considered true to be today, but then in those days they would um, avoid conception during pregnancy for that reason. Meinika is a woman that was nursing. She also would avoid conceiving shema tigmal esbna viyamus because she may uh, somehow... Um, it would affect her milk in a way she would be forced to wean her child and then the child will die and therefore in those three cases we would avoid so to speak conception and so in that case we said katana. what do we say is a katana that's from the age of 11 if, if you get, if you get abort, uh, uh, this procedure yeah. does that part to you from uh, getting chalitza y- yibum um, That's what I'm asking, you know. Yeah, so, no, Yibam would only be, Yibam would always be in effect so long as there is uh, no living offspring. We even said, Garan, as you might call, so you could even have a kid, and if that kid, Khalila, dies, and you die childless, you still do Yibam. Yeah, do yeah. Really? Anyway, so, so which is a katana from 11 to 12, right? Mi ba'as 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 Right? If you're younger than 11, Goranowitz, not you, but you know what I mean. If, so, if one is younger than 11, then we don't care. It's not going to really affect her. And if she's older than 12, then she'll be strong enough. Okay? That was Shita Rebbe Meir. The Chachamim are saying that this is going to happen, Mishamayim. You don't need to use contraception. There'll be an automatic contraception. You cannot conceive in those states. Because Hashem watches all of us fool, foolish humans. And therefore, either way, the point here is that she could not get pregnant younger than 12. If she can't get pregnant younger than 12, then there is no case where the Miun goes back retroactively where her child right, was from her youth. Because there is no such thing as a child from the youth. And if there's no such thing as a child from youth, that goes back to our Mishnah. Our Mishnah can't be talking about Miun. So the Gemara says, no, our Mishnah must mean a different thing. We're almost up to Kof Alf here. What's Kedushay Tos? Ah. Kedushay Tos, Rashi explains. Right? He says, I'll marry you on condition that the Orioles win the World Series. And he's 100% confident. Right? You put a Tanai, and then... They have a losing season like they have every year in the last, I think it was 45 years, right? So then the Kiddushin retroactively gets annulled, but you don't call that znus. That's just like an oopsie, okay? So when you do that, that's the scenario. That's what they're trying to say. That's cute. Because this is what Rabbi Yudah Shmuel, this is how we understood the idea of a hilo nispasa. That was a case where the Torah said that Asura, that, you know, that if a woman um, was, uh, if there was an Aishas Ish that was with another man, Khalila, so then if she was, if she did it, um, and, and she did it intentionally, so then she cannot go back to her husband, right? 
However, that's called the Hilo Nisbuso, which is to say, if she was actually coerced uh, against her will, then she can go back to her husband, right? The Hilo Nisbuso Asur, she's Had Nisbuso Muteris. That's what the Gemara is saying, right? If she was not coerced, then she's Asur. That means that she did it, she participated in it knowingly. But if she was coerced, then she's Muteris to her Baal, because that wouldn't be fair. Which means that there's another. She, vehi, the vehi means that there's another case where she can still go back to her husband. That even though she was not coerced, she still is mother to go to back to her husband. Who's this? Right? In other words, it turns out that the tenai on the kiddushin uh, it, it was not fulfilled, and therefore the kiddushin was an oopsie in the first place. However, even though she has a child already, it's already riding on her shoulder, meaning she has a toddler already. So clearly, they've been, you know, living as husband and wife. Still, she could just refuse the marriage, say, listen, the whole thing was a mistake in the first place, and walk away without a get, without anything. That must be what the case in our Mishnah is. So as we finally arrive at Kafal from Adolf, at the manageable time of 5.52 a.m., we are now reconciled, because the, it turns out that our Mishnah was talking about Kiddush Tos, which is why the Kahuna retains... She can walk away, but she doesn't walk away with the stigma of znus, because that was not the case. It was sanctioned. It was just a mistake. And so that's why Shmuel can say that a coin, in the case of znus, loses kahuna. And our Mishnah is not talking about that case. It's talking about a Kedushe Taos. Beautiful. Two dots. Ayushneim Kohanim. What did we say in the Mishnah? We said that, uh, watch this. You like this one, Goranowitz. Yeah, I need some. We don't, you know that a, a person who hits their father, Khalilah, is, is, gets the death penalty. Right. Okay. What if you don't know who the father is? Can you hit both dads? Wow. Meaning, because after all, they can't give you the death penalty because maybe you didn't hit your father. Well, if you hit them both, you certainly did. I mean, Manoshak, you hit your father. What's the case? Says the He So if you hit both dads sequentially, or Makala, you get death penalty for that too. Kilos shnei mevasachas, or if you. How did this come about from your, from the last gemara? Because the last gemara was talking about that if you that if you don't know who the father is, then if you're mekala one of them, you don't get punished because it's a suffix. But what if you mekala both of them simultaneously mevasachas? So then you certainly or he kashnei mevasachas or hit them both simultaneously. Chayev. In those cases, the Tanakhama says you're going to be chayev. However, Yudah splits the difference. He says, if you do it simultaneously, everybody agrees that if you hit both dads simultaneously with a wrecking ball, you're going to be chayev for that. But if you, right, do it sequentially, you're going to be patr because each individual event is going to be a suffix and we can't punish you for a suffix. I says the Gemara, it sounds like somewhere else Rabbi Huda said that your putter only that, that your putter if you did it even simultaneously. Why did they take the DNA? Ah, so in those days they didn't have the DNA. You're right. In the days of DNA, these DNA could be different. They must have had some type of DNA, right, Andrew? The, with Avram and Yitzchak, they had. What did you say, Andrew? They just looked at him. Yeah, they used to look at him and say, oh, look at "I think him. he looks that's like the father." Point. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. That's Avram's son look exactly like. Yeah. Yeah, Yitzchak looked exactly like Avram, so that was almost like a DNA test. Right, they had to have it because they, they weren't sure if it was Uri Achiti or, or Shlomo Amelech, right? Bacheva's son? son or Micha's son? Uh, One of them looked exactly like him because they thought it was from... Oh, no, it was Avigail. Avigail. Yeah. Andrew, with the Nach. Because she, she was married to... Uh, what's his name? 
Right. Before, and she married before the three months. So there you go, Avigail Naval. See that? You got some Navi? You're, you're in seminary now, Garanowitz. You know this. We really should know Navi too. I've been paying attention to Navi, and um, it's crazy. Did you, did you see that Shimshon story last week? What in the world? Anyway, not for now. Why are you learning Navi? No, because I was looking at the Torah, and Rabbi David Katz does the Navi every week. Anyway, it's really wild stories. It's not exactly for now, but... Is that why we don't learn Navi? Because it's too wild, you know? That's a good question. Why? Well, we, we have to, yeah. we have mean, to focus on Gemara. It makes us uh, depressed because... Well, Navi, you would love, because you're always asking for a Musr moment. Let me tell you something. Right. Musr shouldn't make you depressed, and Navi is all about the Musr. You know what it is about the Navim? This is your Garanowitz Musr moment. Okay, Andrew, you ready? The Navim, they were always reluctant, if you really look. They didn't want to be Navim. Because Nevi'im means Hashem says, okay, I'm going to tell you the full truth and nothing but the truth. And so everyone, oh, nobody likes hearing the truth, Go right. Nobody likes hearing the Yeah, the Nevi'im were never popular. They were like, oh my God, look at this guy. He talks to Hashem. He's a Navi. He's a celebrity. This is great. No, they were never popular because the truth is hardly ever popular. Yeah, like Mike said, when, yeah. when he, when he uh, yeah. said to them, you got to do right. this, they were ready to stone him. Ready to stone know? the guy. All right, so here we go. You ready to move on? Nobody wants to hear the truth. Right. right? Well, here's the truth, Goranowitz. You know what's a painful truth? Is that we're behind and we got to go. Here we go. Trade Tanai, Aliba the Rabbi Yehuda. There's two Tanaim, and that's why one Tana said that, he's, that Rabbi Yehuda holds that he's putter, even if it's simultaneous, and as long because there's a suffix. And the other one holds that Rabbi Yehuda held that in the case of simultaneity, it will be Chayev. My Tama demand a putter. Why would you say that you're. Potter, even if it's simultaneous, how could that be? So, I'm a Rebbe Hanina, as follows. These are, bracha here is a Lashon Saginar, right? It's a ironic word. It really means klala. That we have two psukim about klala. It says, that says that if you curse your parents, you should uh, get death. Or, what does it mean, curse? Uh, that's a good question. What does it mean, curse? Cur- ha- what is the, what is the, Technically, right. Yeah, how does curse work? That's a really good question. Um, I don't know. The, I, I don't really know what uh, the ingredients of a full yeah, curse. Say curse. Yeah. Right. Like if, you, like if you say, leave me alone, you're annoying me. Is that a curse? I don't think so, right? So that's a good question. You know, maybe it's a good thing that we don't know really the full, all the ingredients of cursing. That means that we're good people. All right. In those days, they knew how to curse. Oh, they really know how to curse in those days. Ish ish ki kalel elokav v'nasachet o. So one pasuk says that you can't be mekalel your parents. The other pasuk says that you can't be mekalel Hashem. That's that's what lamala and lamata means. Lamala is Hashem. Parents is lamata. Get it? So ma lamala she'en v'shutfus. So in other words, we're giving both hazaras. So one is for Hashem and one is for the parents. Just like when you curse chalila Hashem, you are cursing the right Hashem echad. Right the most unified thing that there could possibly be. Ein ba shutfus, right? There's no suffix as to who Hashem is. There's all, Hashem is one, 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 only one. So af lemata shein ba shutfus. So too, when you curse your parents, it has to be that clearly obvious who your parent is. Just like it's obvious that only Hashem could be Hashem, that's how obvious it should be that it's your father. So that even if you're cursing, you don't know if you're suffix, even if you're cursing them simultaneously, it's not, you're going to be putter because that's not like cursing Hashem, right? Because it's like a, 
bifurcated thing where you don't know who exactly the curse is to. Therefore, you're only going to be, right, getting the punishment if the klala is exactly to one singular parent. And since you lack that here, that's how Rabbi Hanina explains the sheet of Rebut, according to the Tana that says that even a simultaneous curse doesn't work. Okay. Finally, it says, So what does it mean that he can go up? In our Mishnah, we said that he could go up with his Mishmar. Meaning, he has a Suffolk Kohen Goranowitz. He's still a Kohen, but he doesn't know which one is his father. But we let him go with his group, you know, when it's their rotation. So it's the Gemara. You know, but he can't get from their meat that they're splitting. Hey, Yoni. You can't get from their meat. Yoni uh, wants to uh, be here for the scene on the parrot. Why can't he get it? Well, because he's taken away from something that may not be his. He's not rightfully owning that. He doesn't know that he's from this uh, family. So the Gemara asks, well, since he's not getting the meat, why is he going up to the base of Mikdash? So the Gemara asks, Lama Ola, why is he going up? Like, you need an excuse to go to the Kotel, Andrew? Like, you're only going to go if you're going to bring a Mizbeach, uh, if, if you're going to bring a Karbon? Amar be'ina denavid mitzvah. What do you mean? It's a mitzvah. It's a big mitzvah to go up there. So why would you not go? He wants to go. Why shouldn't he go? So, Ella Ola Lokatani, Ella Ola Balkarcha. Yeah, no, the question is not whether he's allowed to go to the coastal, even though he's not bringing a carbon yet. May the base of Mikdash rebuilt from Herbert Menu. The question is not whether he's allowed to. The question is, does he have to? Is he chayef to go with the Mishmaros? Andrew, Andrew stayed at a place right next to the coastal. I know. He loved that Israel trip. That's recent. Yeah, have you ever stayed in that place? I don't know where he stayed, but uh, I probably have. Yeah, famous I, guy. I'm a, have you Oh, no, no. Yeah, no. Oh, oh, you mean you stayed in uh, Alaska's apartment? Oh, no. I haven't been Zoha. That's a big Baltimore thing, to stay in Alaska's apartment. I got to go there. Really? I, I got to hit that up. That sounds like a swanky place. Yeah. In other words, there's a Pagam Mishpacha. That would be a disgrace if, if he had to, right? In other words, why are we going to force him? Because... If he was what? Not going to go with either Mishmar, so then each, then people would know that it looks bad on the family, right? That looks bad on the family where they know that this guy, Yankel Cohen, never goes up with either family. Ah, uh, that highlights his, um, right, his ambiguous lineage, which is not something he wants, so therefore we force him to go up. Okay. And finally, we said, funny thing, that if both of the fathers, right, both of the potential Suffolk fathers, both husbands, as it were, were from the same Mishmar, so then he could even eat. Oh. So the Gemara asks, wait a minute. In other words, why would Shnei Mishmaros be different than one Mishmar? Watch this. In the case of Shnei Mishmaros, we understand that he doesn't eat because one Mishmar is going to say, hey, you're not from us, go to the other, go eat from the other one. So he goes to the other one, they say, yeah, you're not from us, go to the other one. Nobody wants to be the one, right, in the case of Suffolk, that shares the food, because maybe he belongs to the other Mishmar. So says the Gemara, that would apply even within the same Mishmar. Watch this. Mishmar echad nami. Right? Now there is even within each Mishmar, really it goes by family, and each family is going to kick him out and say, no, you go to the Rothschilds. No, you go to the Collins. So says the Gemara, Amar Papa, or the Rappaport, as it were. Amar Papa, Hachi Kamar, Yimai Yishnei Mishmar Echad, Uveis Av Echad, Eina Chinami. It has to be from the same base Av. If they're from the same base Av, then nobody can 
uh, move the guy away, and then notel chalak echad, and he gets to take his portion. And so we finish the parak, and we start a new parak on Kofal from Aleph, parak called Mitzvah Chalitza. And sure enough, as the name suggests, as advertised, we'll be talking about the Mitzvah Chalitza, some of the mechanics of the shoe, and, and the like, as follows. It's funny. My wife, I saw a kid, actual, I participate yet, and then Rabbi Hopper, the chalitza here at Glen Avenue. So, yeah. you know, you're not completed until you did those two things in your life. That's bucket list for you. Okay, but you've already yeah. done that. So, mitzvah's chalitza, yep, every once in a while you'll see it. You'll see the shoe. So, did you ever wonder where they get the shoe? Does, it, does the shoe need to fit? Is it you a know, real shoe? Yeah, what's going on? So, let's watch this. Place where they get it yeah, right. Are they getting it now? Oh, what were they getting? So let's go inside and see. Yeah, shoe dog. Hang in there. We're about to. You're about to be a lot smarter than you were five minutes ago. <laughs> Says the Mishnah. First of all, you need to have three dayanim. They could be knuckleheads. They could be laymen. They don't have to be like the biggest. They don't have to be Rabbi Hopfer. You know, to be on the din, on the bezdin. Watch this. The following case. It, she's did chalitza with a shoe, the type of what's but a special uh, specific type of shoe called a minal. It's like it's it's a little different. Minal and sandal were the two types. Rashi explains the minal was like soft leather. That was in his times. The, the sandal was more of a hard leather, the, and and was more like I guess like the Crocs of today in a way because it retained its shape. Wow. Okay, so that was a terrible example, I guess, but I'm kind of Croc obsessed. Uh, so that's the question. We'll watch the Mishnah. Um, I'm happy to re- report. I was able to weather the storm. Crocs were in, and for 20 years they were nerdy, and now they're back in, and I weathered that entire time. Thank Baruch Hashem. Chatz of a minal, chalitzas kashera. Okay, you could do it with a minal, even though it's soft, but ampilia chalitzas psula. Ampilia is like a sock. That's ridiculous. Besandal sheishal ekev kasher. If the if it's a sandal that has a sole, it's it's good. You've heard of toeless shoes. This is a soleless shoe, open heel, as it were, as Raj explains. So that a sole, what is it? Just straps? That doesn't make any sense. But here the heel is open. That's not good. You need to have at least a heel. Yeah, you're gonna see. That's a good question. Very interesting. Good question. So This is this is interesting. You know, a person is an amputee above the knee. So, in other words, if an amputee above the knee, that's a problem, says Rashi, because you have nothing to put the sandal on. As long as you have a little bit below the knee on calf, you could put the sandal on there. But, it, you know, so you don't have to have like a full foot. But you need to have something at least below the knee in order for this chalitza to work. Okay, more chalitza halachas. Chalitza besandal she'en shalo, besandal shal eitz. Okay, what if it's not your sandal? Do you have to own the sandal? Nope. Does it, can it be a sandal of wood? Can we be doing Amsterdam clogs here? Yes. Obishel small be amin. Or what if you do it on the wrong foot? Chalitzek shera. Those are not going to be me'akev, as they say. Chalitza begadol shu yochal halach bo. Obekatol What about a shoe that's way too big? It looks like a clown shoe on you. But as long as you can walk on it, it's fine. Or it's so small, but... At least you can cover most of your foot with it. So you're not going to use it for Cinderella in the ball. It's one of the sisters, but at least you can kind of get it a little bit on. 
then chalitza sakshir. The chalitza is still going to be kosher as long as you sort of mostly can get the shoe on or you can walk in it. It doesn't have to be a perfect fit. Chalitza is going to be kosher. Says the Gemara, first of all. Um, wait a minute. If, I, if the three people could be knuckleheads, so why do we need Dayanim in the first place? So the Gemara answers, They can't be complete ignoramuses. They have to be able to at least to read the text that you read at a chalitza, you know, sort of fluidly enough that it doesn't look bad. So in that sense, they're like Dayanim, like real ones. So Tanina Lahad, Tanina the Gemara says, by the way, we learn in the Mishnah, what we already learned in the Brisa, mitzvah chalitza b'shlosha sheyodim lahakros kein dayanim. Yeah, so that's already alluded to in the Brisa that says that you need three men that know how to read, like dayanim. Yehuda omer bechamisha. And what's interesting in that Brisa is that whereas our Mishnah says three, Yehuda says five. So what's this three to five? Why would the machlokus of three to five? Says the Gemara. My time with the Tanakama. Why does Tanakama say three? The Tanya zakenim. Well, the pasuk says zakenim. Uh, okay, it means the yavama, the also yavama. Hashara, what's going on? If he doesn't want to take the Yavim, the Yavama, then the Yavama goes to the to the Shara. We'll talk about that. She goes to the city gate, El Zakanim, to the elders. And then Ve'amra Me'ain Yavami Lahakim Lachiv Shem Israel Lo, right? Love um, Yavami. Right? He doesn't want to take me. So that's what they do. They take the Zakanim. So what Zakanim is in plural. Okay, and then later it says, These are the psukim, Goranowitz, that you asked about. You would have thought it has to be his shoe. Well, we're going to darshan all these psukim. I'm reading from the psukim now. That she's going to go, right? This is Dvarim Chafei Tess. They're going to cholitz the nal from his, from his uh, foot. V'yarka b'fanav, spits in his face. V'anta v'amra kach le'yase la'ish asher lo'yivne'ez Seems like a, a little bit of a derogatory thing when you spit in the face and you say, this is what you're going to do. It seems like, a, seems like we don't, we're, we're not happy with this guy, but we will discuss all of this. Be that as it may, skatim is in the plural, shnaim. And so that's the minimum math. However, vein based in shuckle. You can never have two dayonim because you can't have an even number of people. You'll end up in a stalemate. Therefore, that's how the Mishnah arrives at three dayonim. Where does he get five? Right, we see this a lot. That the added letters add another two, so that's four. That's how we get to five. So what does Tanakama do with the extra zakene? So that's where they learn that they could also be morons. So hold that. Right? He, he gets the le'ene, right? He, he learns that to teach you that blind men cannot be the judges. Okay. Since le'ene is needed to exclude blind men from being the dayanim, and from there, it's implied. It's implied that laymen can do it because if a blind man could do it, uh, well, um, in other words, if you have to exclude a blind man, so then it's, to the exclusion of excluding a layman. And that sounds like, that's where you learn that layman could do it. He's like, because after all, let me walk you through that. If you thought, that's what, that's what it is. Sanhedrin can't be blind, that's the point. So if you have to exclude blind, it must mean that we're not talking about Sanhedrin guys. That's the point, Andrew. 
right? Because if you think the Sanhedrin are required, you don't have to exclude blind people. Because we already learned regarding the Sanhedrin, the Midatani of Yosef Nafka, the Tani of Yosef, just like the integrity of a member of Sanhedrin has to be unimpeachable, so too they must be physically intact. And they can't have mumin, and being blind is one of the mumin, and therefore Sanhedrin are not blind, therefore the fact that we're excluding blind means that we must be referring to laymen as well. As we finally turn to Kafal from Bayes at 6.10 a.m., Shinamar. Bach. Andrew had a meeting late last night, but he's hanging in there. That Pasuk from Shir Hashir, you didn't expect that. Well, we get good at God you are beautiful to me and you don't have a blemish, meaning that one of the signs of beauty is not having a blemish and the Sanhedrin are considered to be beautiful. Uh-huh. Uh, by the way, one, another sign of, of beauty is something like that in Shir Hashirim. That if all the teeth are lined up and you don't even have one out of place, that's considered an empirical sign of beauty in Shir Hashirim, which means nobody really, if you want to be beautiful, should have any teeth out of place at all. If you take the first letter of each word, it spells Invisalign. Oh my God, the, yeah, that's Gematria Invisalign. Very good, Andrew. Uh, so you, le- you learned that in the Aisha Torah program? Okay, so he says like this. Have you seen a perfect pair of teeth? Uh, no, Baruch Hashem. Hashem could have made a perfect ta- pair of teeth, but he left it for the Jewish Orthodontists to uh, straighten yeah. out. So why does it say la'ene, the eyes of? The Rava, in other words, if, what's the ene to teach you if you don't need it to teach that asuma? Because, well, it means ene that you have to visually be like, a, like an aid. You have to see, we just uh, recorded, we just quoted the psukim where she spits in his face, where it's like, so just like in a kiddushin, the aid of kiddushin have to watch like the ring go on the finger, the aid of chalitza have to watch the spittle go on the face. If they missed it, that's not good. Right? You read the psukim as we did, and you see that those are juxtaposed, and therefore they have to be aid spittle. The idach nami mi well, what is Rabbi Yudah? What does he need the eyes of for that, for that ruling? But how then is he going to use to teach that you can use a regular Hediotos, a Yanim for this? So Enechinami, that's true. So we have to find a different place where he learned that. After all that, he needs a different source to teach you Hediotos. So what is it? Vela Hediotos minalai, nafkami be Yisrael. It says Yisrael, so it doesn't qualify, so Yisrael called to any kind of Yisrael will do. So how about the Chachamim? What do they do with Israel? Israel, my That it has to be one of these FFBs. You can't have converts for whatever reason uh, be in the Bezdin of the Chalitza. Okay. So what is the right? What's the other? The Rabbi Huda going to say for Israel? So it means that. The second mention could be used because there's another Israel is used twice. We just read the Psukim of Chalitza. So you could use the second time that says Israel to use that Limud. Okay. So So why do the Chacham and the Tanakama require both Israels? Well, you need it, like we said in the following verse. Okay, we were hanging around in the Bez, in the base manager, Rabbi Tarfon, the Yavama comes to do Chalitza, Ve'amar lanu, and Rabbi Tarfon said to us, Anu kulchem chalutza nal. Everybody should say, Chalutza nal. In other words, because why? Because it says, Vikresh Mobi Yisrael, right? That you should say, 
that be Israel. So that's what he learned from the second Israel. So that's what Rabbi Yehuda now explains. And you derive, so Rabbi Yehuda, who doesn't need the second Israel, is going to say that that you already learned from Vinikra. Vinikra Shemob Israel means the Vinikra. You can learn already from that that they all have to proclaim. Okay. So now we have a question on both Tanakam and Rabbi as follows. Elamiyata of Karush nine. Wait a minute. Wait one minute. We just said that the Machlokas was whether this Chalitza procedure requires three Dayanim or five Dayanim, according to Rabbi Yehuda. But watch this. It says Shnaim, Bedibro Shnaim. So the Rebbe Hachinami, right? So we say, the Rebbe Hachinami, Yehuda Harekan Tisha, Lerbanan Harekan Shiva. So wait a minute. We should add more. It says Vikaru and Vedibru. Uh oh. The Machlokas should not be five versus three. It should be nine versus seven. Ah, oh, so says the Gemara. No, whom he buy the chedetanya? It's all vikaru v'dibur. We learn for a different brisa. Vikaru lo v'losh luchem. Vikaru lo teaches you not that you add to the yanim. No, 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 no. It means that the yanim themselves have to be the ones to do what to issue the summons to the yavam to come in for the chalitza, and not shlichim. You know, normally when you get a summons from court, the the judge isn't the one that shows up at your door, right? It's a it's a it's a shliach here for. For Chalitza, it has to be the judges themselves. Okay. We already learned this earlier in Yuvamos. Dibur Alav means sit the guy down. And there are cases where even though it sounds like from the Psukim, like the Chalitza is really not the ideal. Yuvam's the ideal. I mean, she's spitting in his face, right? But there are cases where Chalitza is the ideal. What's the case? Right? It can happen. Right? The, the, the one who died, died of old age. It happens to be his brother was like a Ben Zakunim. So you have the 17-year-old. What he's going to do? Yibum on a 70-year-old woman? That's going to be a weird relationship. So who's Zakin Vahiyada? Or, or vice versa. Omrim Lo, the rabbi sit him down. Rabbi Rose says, listen, Malachai tell Yalda, what are you going to do with the 17-year-old? You're 70 years old. Malachai tells Kain, or conversely, right? What are you going to do, right? So Kalech etzel Shkamoscha. Go and and Kalech, go to someone that's like your own age. Don't enter a marriage that's going to bring weirdness into your home. And that's what is alluded to in the Pasuk of Adibro I love, that when it makes sense, that's when we're going to encourage Yibum. Otherwise, we're cool with the Chalitza. Okay, last in line. That the Halacha is that you do Chalitza with three Dayanim, not five. Why? Because that was the Stam Mishnah with that opinion. There is a Stam Mishnah um, in, to that effect. Kenegad Rabbi Yehuda, who says five, we learn in the Stam Mishnah that it's three. So I'm like, Rabbi Lav Nachman, Nami. Well, if that's the case, then Miyun should also require panel of three because there's a different anonymous Mishnah in the first daf of Sanhedrin, right? And in that Mishnah, it talks about Miyun taking place Bishlosha. It says there, I'll read it. Hamiyun v'chalitza b'shlosha. Yeah, star Mishnah. Both Miyun and Chalitza need to be with three judges. Okay, so v'chitei me'achinam, yeah. If you're going to say, yeah, sure, Miyun and Chalitza should both have three judges. That's what that star Mishnah says. Of course. So v'hatanya, but there's a price that says, Miyun v'chamayom v'ezdin mumchin, v'chilomim b'vezdin v'shilom b'vezdin. That regarding Miyun, v'chamay said that you need to have real judges, experts, and Mesil Hill says it doesn't really have to be guys with rabbis with smicha, 
However, so that's a machlokas bechan beisilel about the qualifications of the judges of the miyun. But however, elu elu modim shetzarich shlosha. That both Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel agree that the Mion requires three judges. Whereas Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Yossi, Machshir, and Bishnaim. Wow. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, they're saying that this isn't even a real judgment. This is just like a procedure, right? Like a, um, right, so once you have a ritual procedure that doesn't really require judgment, you're not as concerned about having an odd number because we're not going to have a stalemate here. It's just a procedure. So therefore, they even allow two. And sure enough, Rabbi Yosef Rabbi said that we paskin that way, that for me and you need only two judges. Well, guess what? We had a Stam Mishnah Sanhedrin saying that the Mion needs Shlosha, just like the Chalitza needs Shlosha. So it sounds like the Stam Mishnah is not so authoritative after all, because after all, we see that somebody paskin like the Shita that you only need two. Uh oh. So he said the Gemara, no, no, no. Hasam Chat Stama. With regards to me, and there was only one Stam Mishnah, but here we have, we double down. We have two Stam Mishnahs that we could show you to say that you need three. So when you only have one Stam Mishnah, you can overcome it. But to overcome three, ooh, that's, that's to overcome two Stam Mishnahs, that we can't do. So the Gemara, Hasam Nami Trey Stam Not true. Even in Meun, there was two Stam Mishnahs to say that you need three. Watch this, the Tanan. We learned in the Mishnah already in Yavamas, of all places, on Chafeyam at Bez. Remember, Goranovitz, you loved this one. That if she did Mian or Chalitza in front of, right, a panel, then she can, then you can marry her. Because it was part of a Bezdin. Oh, why are we calling it Bezdin? Bezdin sounds like they need to have at least three. Ah, so if you have two Stam Mishnahs that imply that you need three for Mian, why don't we not Paskin like that? Yeah. <laughs> This is not what you would have thought. That if you have two stop missionaries telling you that you need three, we can overcome that. It's only in the case of Yibam where we have three stop missionaries. Wow. Uh, in the case of Chalitza that says require three. That's already too far the bridge to cross. How so? Mechdi, Hastama, Hastama. Wait a second. We, we said like this that the idea of Chalitza, we said, has the anonymous Mishnah. And the idea of Mion also has an anonymous uh, Mishnah. Somali Chatzdamali, Tresdamali, Tlasa. What is all this business, Goranowitz? Who can one star Mishnah should be authoritative enough? Where do we ever hear of an idea that you, oh, three star Mishnahs, three strikes and you're out? <laughs> two star Mishnahs, okay, so it's just two star Mishnahs. We're not going to paskin like it. You have two star Mishnahs saying that you need three. That's not enough for you, Goranowitz. El Amar of Nachman Bar Yitzchak. Ho'elu Stam Bimkom Machlokes. No, it's because where you have a star Mishnah. We're in the context of Machlokas, that's when it's really authoritative. It's not. Because in the Mishnah that we just quoted, we said, That when it, what you need three for, for Smicha Zakenim, right? Where you are, uh, the, the, the Sanhedrin, when they had the Paralim Dabrashat Sibur, right? And, the, and they brought a Sanhedrin to do Smicha on that animal, to perform that part of the Avoda, you needed three. Also, Egla Arufa, the famous procedure explained um, in uh, Shoftim, that this, this, the elders have to go down to the river. That requires three. Diver Yosi. Rabbi And Rabbi Yudah there argued and he said that you need five for those procedures. And then the Mishnah continued to say, And then when it came to, so when it came to Smicha and Egla Arufa, there's Machlokas three or five. But when it came to Chalitza and Meun, there, there, 
we said that the you needed three, and Rabbi Yehuda didn't argue. Oh, so Shmamina Haderbe, Rabbi Yehuda Shmamina. From there, it seems like Rabbi Yehuda was Choser. Once you see, right, the contrast of an argument in the first part of the case, and then he has no argument on the second part of the case, then you see that he must have tacitly, so to speak, agreed to the second part, and that is even more authoritative than the Stam Mishnah, because we see that he was in an argumentative mood, so to speak, right? We see he was willing to be cholik, where he was, where he was disagreeing, he was willing to be cholik and recorded as such. And so, where in the second case he's not cholik, that's more authoritative. Of course, there it's talking about chalitza and miun. So the halacha is, the chalitza can be performed in front of three judges, because even Rabbi Yehuda, who originally said that he needed five, later he was choser, and the, on that statement. And so what's going on here? The follows. Rabbi Yehuda somewhere else is recorded as saying five, but here is recorded as saying three, which means that he was choser on his original statement, and that is more authoritative. When it came to Miun, because ironically we never have a record of him having said five, the fact that he comes now and says three is less authoritative. Right, because of the fact that this is the only record that we have of him saying three, so we don't really know whether that's as authoritative or not. Therefore, for me, and we're not sure, maybe two would be the psak, but if Chalitza, certainly three would be the psak. So we can pick up tomorrow, 11, on the two dots, 11 lines up from the bottom of Kuf Aleph, Ahmed Bez.